0: Hello everyone and welcome to How to Chess, a weekly chess interview show where we try to give you guys something actionable to help out your chess games. Uh, This week we are joined by a popular online personality, the founding sensei of the chess dojo, a YouTube creator, trainer, book author, and now a chessable author. Our guest, Kostya Kavutsky, has just released the much-needed course, Endgame Studies 101. Anyone who regularly listens to my interviews on how to chess and especially on the Perpetual Chess podcast has probably heard a grandmaster or an improver recommend endgame studies as an improvement method, no less than Judith Polgar recently said that one of she thinks this one of the biggest contributors to her early success. But as we've discussed in other interviews, for players under the rating of 2,000, it can be hard to find puzzles that are challenging but gettable, that aren't just like straight up impossible for that level. So enter Kostya Kavutsky. But before we talk about that course and about endgame studies, let's just go ahead and welcome him. Kostya, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Ben. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited. And as we record, it's on publishing day. So so big day for you. We'll push this out. Not the day that they, uh, the course has dropped, but we'll try to get it out pretty quickly because um, you've got a lot of online fans and a lot of people have been waiting for this. So you think you're ready to dig into the topic of uh, endgame studies, Kostya? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm super pumped. Okay, so let's, let's get to it. And let's start with just very basic. So what does the term endgame study mean, Kostya?
1: Okay, good. So an endgame study is a specifically composed puzzle. uh, And there have been thousands of them in history. There are all of these like puzzle composers that basically uh, come up with endgame puzzles that tend to have obviously not very many pieces on the board, uh, and also have a very specific, usually highly creative solution, one that's not obvious, not straightforward. The solutions tend to be quite elegant, artistic, uh, and classically kind of tough to find.
0: Yeah, and it can be confusing, I think, especially for newer players. If you hear someone talk about endgame studies, endgame studies, it's like, does that just mean I study my end games? Mm-hmm. But no, it's a very specific thing. So you should study your end games. but endgame studies are, as Kostya said, a composed puzzle, and they're often very elegant and super cool. So it's really good that Kostya has sort of um, found a way to bring them to to um, newer players and lower-rated players who, who hear how important they are and want to work on them. So because the reason this hasn't happened that much in the past, of course, is because um, a lot of these composers, sometimes they're competing for prizes or they want to illustrate this really sort of elegant, um, maybe abstract chess theme or combination of themes. But Kostya, I've been looking at your course and really enjoying it. Could you let our listeners know how you managed to make it a a more accessible format?
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, uh, a lot of studies tend to have um, not just one really abstract element, but multiple. There might be multiple variations and tons of like really tricky ideas or motifs that you have to find on your way. And that's why generally they're only recommended for strong players. Um, growing up, I always heard you had to be like 21, 2200 before attempting endgame studies. And then once you got to that level, endgame studies are uh, some of the best training you can do for your calculation. Um, but what I've always felt like is that a lot of these patterns and these themes that come up in these studies are very instructive. And what I tried to do is just essentially break down some of the fundamental building blocks and patterns that often come up in um, studies. So there's all kinds of these, I would call them, let's say, tactical themes like attractions and deflections, trying to lure a piece to a specific square, trying to lure the enemy king to a specific square um, that come up time and time again in studies. Um, but if you're just attempting uh, an endgame study for the first time, it's going to be really difficult and frustrating because there could be multiple variations. The solution could be really deep. Uh, the classic book that everyone always talks about is uh, Domination by Kasparian. Um, and, and that book is great. It has like 2,500 studies in there from different composers. Um, but the the level of difficulty in these studies tends to vary quite a bit. It might go from something that's kind of doable to the next one is like a twenty-move impossible combination that's even super difficult for like IMs and, and GMs. So I basically try to break up the course into multiple parts. We start off with a tactical foundation where we're just focusing on some of the key tactical motifs and, and patterns. Um, so really quick, I would even call them like basic simple tactics, uh, and I really try to to make the course as accessible as possible. So it starts off with like two move tactics and then slowly works its way up to slightly trickier uh, and more challenging ideas. I also wanted to include a big section in the course on um, actual uh, solving techniques, which which I'd be happy to go into uh, further detail because a lot of these end game studies are difficult to solve if you've never kind of attempted before. But my hope is that by just showing some instructive examples and some key techniques that I think a lot of strong players kind of learn naturally and kind of make it easier for most players to actually go through and start solving some of these problems themselves.
0: Yeah, that is something I wanted to ask you about because even though you hear a lot of strong players like yourself recommend in game studies, you'll you'll hear some of them say like, you know, you got to lock yourself in a room. I don't care if it takes 3 days. You're not leaving that room till you solve that puzzle. And then you'll hear others say like, you know what? Give it 10 minutes. If you don't get it after that, uh if if you know, for example, I heard I am Cyrus Laktawala say that If you feel like you're on the right track, stick with it. But if you just feel like you're banging the head against the wall, it's okay to give up. Uh, Where do you come down on this debate and what advice can you impart, Kostya?
1: Yeah, well, shout out to Cyrus, by the way. Actually, his book, uh, Rewire Your Chest Brain, is one of the books that really inspired me to do this course um, because... Uh, his point, as I remember, is that just the, the process of solving the problem is useful, even if you don't get it right, uh, which I fully agree with. It, it's really all about practice and trying to solve difficult problems, and then reviewing the solution and trying to learn um, from those ideas. Uh, personally, I've always uh, understood the the side of, you know, just suffer with a problem until you get it right. And I've definitely spent my hours, you know, working on endgame <laughs> studies. But generally, I feel like I, I fall on the side of, Um, spend up to, let's say, 20, 25 minutes or so, Uh, maybe longer if you're working with like a training partner and you guys can analyze a little bit. Um, But generally, I I don't recommend banging your head against the wall too much. I feel like you should really try uh, to solve it yourself, really give it a good attempt. Um, But then at a certain point, you don't want to just be suffering, just go through the solution, try to understand the ideas, uh, the patterns. And maybe just as a quick practical tip, one thing that's always helped me with my calculation when I was going through a difficult problem, is that once I've gone through the solution, to go back to the starting position of the puzzle, now that I know the answer, and just visualize the full solution and all of the the variations, just to get a feeling of what it feels like to actually sit down and calculate all these lines and see every move. Uh, And I think that's just something that's very good for your overall visualization. It also gives you a psychological sense of like, you know, you could have solved this problem had you seen this idea or this pattern in this one this one line. Good stuff,
0: yeah. And um, you've of course mentioned, obviously, this is often recommended as a way to improve your calculation skills, but could you speak more broadly about like what skills you, ha- you think it helps develop, especially compared to say, just like straight up tactics trainers, which obviously uh, every chess improver has some familiarity with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I would say that this course is more uh, of a tactical course than an endgame course. I think endgame studies and solving studies um, really boost your calculation. The classic skills that people always mention is that it really boosts your imagination, just your ability to find very unexpected ideas. Um, and I would also say it helps your resourcefulness, um, which I would describe as, um, you know, having a position where it feels like it's time to resign or there's no more hope or there's no, no win. And just finding some uh, unusual idea that, that happens to work in that position. I think it's also really good uh, for strengthening, let's say your um, analytical skills. Uh, A lot of times in, uh, in, in the process of solving a study, you go down one variation, it doesn't quite work. And you go back to the starting position, you realize, oh, if I start with this one forcing move first, my solution will now then work once the position has adjusted a little bit. Um, In the course, I refer to this as reciprocal thinking, which is one of the the solving techniques. Um, Originally, the first time I heard this term was in the classic book, Imagination in Chess uh, by Gaprindeshvili. I believe they were the first ones to um, use that term reciprocal thinking and kind of describe how it helps in terms of your calculation. And this is something that I think can help uh, someone during a game as well, because it often happens... You know, you're looking at some sacrifice. Bishop takes H7 check. It doesn't quite work for whatever reason. There's some critical defensive piece covering a square and you realize, aha, if I can deflect that piece first, then the sacrifice can work on the next move. And so I think solving a lot of studies can really develop your kind of thinking skills and your analytical uh, technique in this
0: way. Excellent. And Kostya, um, obviously you grew up in the United States, became a very strong player. I know you've worked with uh, Vara Kopian and I'm sure you're friends with a lot of titled players and strong players as well. So do you have any sort of memorable experiences from your own life of like treacherous endgame studies or like the feeling of getting one that that really sticks out for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when I
1: was working with... um, Akobian and I had reached around, I think, 2,000, And I was asking him, okay, how do I improve? I remember one day he was just like, yeah, I think it's time you just start solving endgame studies. It's like this um, rite of passage. Once you get to a certain level, you have your basic tactics down, your basic combinations down. This is where you really have to start solving some of the difficult problems. Um, And he would give me some homework that was, of course, very challenging. Um, I remember also attending the US Chess School with Greg Shahadi many years back. And Greg and almost every single um, coach that I interacted with at the U.S. Chess School, they were always big fans of endgame studies and they would put one up for the group and it would always be like a big race to solve it. I was never first, (laughs) it was Mm -hmm. always tough for me, but um, that experience that like group practice was definitely uh, very motivating. Um, And then when I was around, let's say 2350 or so, and I was chasing um, my I am norms, I was living with another chess player as a roommate, National Master uh, Tom Riccardi. And one of the best things about living with a chess player, of course, is that you tend to do a lot of chess training together. Um, and we made it a real practice to try to solve at least two, three difficult uh, studies a day. We just had um, some database of end game studies. We would just pick one at random, uh, suffer through it for 10, 15 minutes, if we felt like we were close, we would keep thinking. If not, we would just review the solution and move forward. But yeah, we definitely did a lot of uh, training and, and, and solving. And um, I think that was one of the main things that actually did help me get to the um, over 2400 level.
0: Yeah, you hear that a lot from players of, of your level. So, But it's good to hear that you practice what you preach here. Now, last question here on our sort of um, main segment here, Kostya, For So all this work you've done, both uh, in your life and for this course in particular, do you have a favorite Endgame study composer by now? I, I do. I have um, a few
1: that I really enjoy, and, and I use their um, studies in the course. So I'll just name a few. Uh, Trotsky, Kubel, Russian composer is a really classic Um, I I discovered this French composer, Henri uh, Rank, or perhaps Rink, um, who I I had seen many of his compositions before, but I didn't realize how many of his I had seen. And he's actually done a number of really, really instructive and and elegant studies. My favorite composer, though, has to be uh, Watawa, who I believe is an Austrian composer. His studies just tend to be extremely uh, creative. And um, if you ever see a composition that has let's say, five, six sacrifices where White gives up all of their pieces and then ends up checkmating uh, the enemy king, that's probably going to be a Watawa uh, composition. He really, uh, really <laughs> liked the the theme of just giving away all your pieces and then mating uh, the enemy king. So his I've always found super, super creative.
0: Excellent. Sounds good to me. So the course is called Endgame Studies 101. Kostya, I'm going to attempt to sum up the knowledge you've imparted. And if you can stick around, maybe we can chat for another minute or two after that. Sure. And we are back and I'm going to attempt to sum up what we've learned from Kostya. Of course, although of course, to get the true knowledge, you should check out his course, which I have been enjoying already. I was telling him before we started recording, I was showing a few of the puzzles to one of my students just the other day and uh, greatly enjoying. And, he, and Kostya really does go out of his way to start at a level that's accessible for a lot of people and take it on up from there. Which brings me to point number one, which is that uh, solving such studies as end game studies can really help you lay the building blocks, the foundation for tactical vision. Um, It's by knowing the basics that you're then able to to access longer patterns because you kind of know what you're looking for, um, you know, as an ultimate outcome of the tactic. Number two, end game studies can build creativity and imagination. Um, I've certainly experienced that even though I probably haven't done as many um, end game studies as I should, but this idea of just racking your brain and sometimes even reaching a, a point where you just say, you know what, I'm going to look at every single move in this position because clearly I'm missing something. Um, and that aspect of just looking at moves that you, you wouldn't necessarily look at, um, if you're just sort of relying on your system one, just sort of, uh, reacting automatically, um, of course, I'm referring to your system one thinking, your automatic thinking. Um, if you just do that, you may not get the answer. So really learning to rack your brain is something that can be developed uh, from endgame studies. And point number three is, of course, this can be really helpful for tournaments. Um, you, that's part of the reason you hear all these uh, amazing players like Grandmaster Akobian and Judith Polgar and the list goes on, talk about studying endgame studies, because this idea of there being like one discrete solution and needing to find the kind of exact exact path like whether you know it or not whether you know when it's presented or not in a tournament uh, that can be something that really helps you uh, optimize your results. So, great stuff from Kostya Kravutsky, as always. So, Kostya, I feel like you're you're probably just like just coming up for air as you join us you were just at the US Championship, help covering the event. Now you've got a course coming out, but I still got to ask you what else what's next, Kostya? What else are you working on? <laughs>
1: Thanks, man. Um, yeah, so I would say, number one, my main uh, project right now has to be Chess Dojo. You know, shout out to to David and Shout out to the dojo, yes. (laughs) Yeah, the entire community. Um, I I really enjoyed making the course, and I'll probably be making more courses in in the future because I think it's a great way to just reach uh, a wider audience and get the the material out to more students. Um, But yeah, for now, I'm just going to be doing a lot of streaming, uh, a lot of YouTube videos for the dojo. Uh, and just trying to to grow that community.
0: Excellent. Yeah, and I suspect most people watching and listening will know about the Chess Dojo. They should if they don't. But maybe Kostya, just to be safe, you could give sort of like sort of a overarching view of the sort of content and uh, goals of the Chess Dojo.
1: Yeah, basically the the Dojo is a, a Discord server first, um, with a great community of chess improvers of all ages and levels, pretty much. Um, it's a yeah, wonderful place where people can hang out. They can talk chess. There's a, a channel to find uh, training partners, which is very uh, popular. We also run a lot of tournaments and events. And of course, we have a Twitch channel where we stream uh, lessons and uh, sometimes we'll do commentary on tournaments and things like that. And of course, we have a YouTube channel with some of our specific lessons um, as well. Uh, actually, last year, we partnered with the, the U.S. Chess School. Again, shout out to, to Greg Shahadi. And um, the U.S. Chess School used to be something that was just uh, like a private, you know, group training session for some of America's best uh, juniors. But now all of the classes are are streamed uh, live. And I think that's just a great resource for anyone who can't uh, come to the classes themselves. They can watch them and, and still participate. So that's something that's happening on our Twitch channel, too.
0: Yeah. That's, I've watched a bunch of those lectures and they're, they're simply fantastic. I uh, can't recommend them high, highly enough and also greatly enjoy, as you say, all the videos that I am David Proust and GM Jesse Cry and yourself put out for the Chess Dojo. So yeah, we'll look forward to more. Glad to hear you're contemplating another Chessable course already as well. So uh, Kostya, thanks again for joining us. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks for having me on.